This is what we did with God. God the Son became man, and man said, we reject you from the human race. We will not consider you human. He had been condemned by the religious authorities, the guardians of faith, of morals, as a blasphemer, deserving a godless death. What we did is, when God became human, we said, you're blaspheming, and we excluded him from the human race, God. Hey everyone, welcome to a Christmas edition of Purity for Life. During the Christmas season, the church focuses on the incarnation of God in the man, Jesus Christ. The miracle of his birth, the wonder of his life, the scandal of his death, and the stunning victory of his resurrection. These are things that ought to fill our minds with wonder at all times. I don't know what is keeping you from fixing your eyes on Jesus right now, the stress of the pandemic, questions about what Christmas will look like this year, or maybe even the pain of a broken life. Whatever it is, please stop what you're doing and focus with us on the greatest gift ever given to mankind, Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Purity for Life. Hundreds of years, the people of Israel had been waiting for a Savior, their Messiah. And when he finally came to them, most of them missed him completely. They were looking for a king, a warrior, who would defeat their oppressors and rule them like the kings around them. But Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he came to them in the unlikeliest of packages, as a baby, wrapped in old cloth and finding rest in a manger. And we also, if we don't know what we're looking for, we can miss him in exactly the same way because we're not looking for him as he is. Today I'll speak with a longtime friend of our ministry, Ofer Amitai. He's a Messianic Jewish pastor who was radically saved over 40 years ago and who has been passionately pursuing Jesus ever since. Today we're going to look at Jesus, his humility, his love, his sacrifice. And we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to walk as Jesus walked? Ofer, during the Christmas season, there are thousands of sermons that are preached across the U.S. and I'm sure also in Israel among Messianic congregations. And one thing that is always given a lot of attention is the humility of Jesus because we see this great king being born to a simple peasant couple in total obscurity. And we all appreciate this picture, but um, sometimes we stumble at the idea that this wasn't just a one-time show of humility, but it's actually at the essence of God's nature. Jesus said, I'm meek and lowly in heart. And, (laughs) you know, sometimes it can almost... It just feels wrong to say that about the king of the universe, that he's meek and lowly. And I'd like for you to reflect on this characteristic of God, that he's lowly, and how we see that in Jesus' life. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I always like to uh, base my thoughts on the scriptures. It's important that any thoughts we have about God are based and rooted in the scriptures. From that's mm-hmm. that's the root of our understanding and knowledge. So yeah. I think that one of the places where uh, the clearest pictures of Yeshua being both uh, God and, and the lowly God, as you will, is found in Philippians, Philippians mm-hmm. 2. And I like to read these sev- uh, verses, that uh, portion of Scripture, to frame, actually, what we know of the Lord mm-hmm. in this way. So it, Paul, breaking into... He, what he's writing, verse 5 of chapter 2, Philippians, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in a fashion, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to Mm. the glory of God the Father." So you, you'll notice that this uh, portion of Scripture is, begins with God and ends with God. Hmm. It begins with, in the form of God, and then it ends with the exaltation of God the Son, the returning King. Hmm. And in the middle of it, of course, we see the incarnation of Yeshua as a man. What I like to do, actually, when I think of it, um, is within this framework speak about the two two things that are seem to us as extreme. One of them is God himself, the glory of God mm-hmm. and who he is, and then what happened at the cross. It's hard to find a better perhaps uh, description of God than in some of the some of the confessions of the church, and uh, one that I really like is uh, the Westminster Confession of the Faith from mid-17th century. But I'm going to read just a few lines of it just to give, mm. us, give us a flavor, a flavor okay. of it. So there they say this, There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible Immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory. And it continues, God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he has made. And I'll explain that in a minute because it's an important concept for us. Fred Sanders wrote this, God is that being who exists as the triune love of the Father for the Son, 
in the unity of the Spirit, the boundless life that God lives in himself at home, within the happy land of the Trinity, above all worlds, is perfect. It is com- he is complete, inexhaustibly full, and infinitely blessed. Mm. And what's important for us to understand, first of all, the magnitude of God as creator, yeah. as an infinite being, But it's also really important for us to understand that God had no need for man. Yeah. God had no need to create man or the universe to be happy. There's Mm. nothing that would complete him. There's nothing that he needs from us. Yeah. He was perfectly happy (laughs) in himself. And Mm -hmm. Jesus speaks of it as a mystery that God loved his son before he became a man. So mm-hmm. this is a deep, deep mystery to us because what comes out of it is also this, that God was not obligated to his creation to save it. Mm. God sending his son did not make God more just or holy mm-hmm. or perfect. Mm-hmm. It would have been perfectly just not to save man, perfectly just to condemn it all to destruction. Hmm. And there is where we touch a mystery of the love of God and of, yeah. his, of his desire to, first of all, he created for his own purposes man, but then to save him yeah. is the absolute wonder of it all. And if we don't see it, we would never understand the incarnation. Yeah, that's I, uh, what you were saying uh, from the Westminster Confession that those uh, descriptions of God, immutable, ineffable, mm-hmm. incomprehensible, mm-hmm. though that's why when Jesus says, I'm meek and lowly, mm-hmm. it just, it, it's so hard for us to understand mm-hmm. how can that being also be meek mm-hmm. and lowly. Can you help us understand yeah. some of that? Yeah, part of our problem is that we're fallen. So we associate meekness with a certain weakness. Uh, we don't see it in holiness. We don't see what it is. I think it's amazing to also contemplate the fact that in Jesus all the fullness of God dwelt, that he revealed, he revealed the Father. So what we know of God in his immutableness and in all of these, we call them traits, but he's just one thing. Even mm-hmm. the wrath of God and the love of God are one thing in God. He's not, there's no departments mm. in God. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't go to a different room, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You, you see. And so I want to be careful to say that we haven't seen the fullness of it yet because Jesus has not returned in glory. So we don't understand that part of it very well. But all of what God is, is expressed in Christ. Now, uh, that's why I want to describe the cross. Everything that Yeshua did, lived, said, and in his death, he was expressing this infinite God. This Mm. is what God is like. He doesn't change. Yeah. He can't change. If God changed, he wouldn't be God. Hmm. So he cannot change. He is perfect and complete. He doesn't have to be told something. He knows everything that could be known. 
he doesn't have to change his mind, even though it seems like it sometimes, the way that the Bible describes it. Yeah. So, so Jesus, in his being and in his stooping down, this is God. This is the, in, this is the immutable, infinite, holy, uh, uh, eternal God. The reason it's hard for us to see is because the enemy rose in rebellion and pride, and that's what we fell into. So we see everything mm. in, in that prison. But let me describe the cross for a moment here. Yeshua did not, did not hold his equality with God as something to be grasped, in other words, to hold on to, to lust after. That is, mm. It's incomprehensible yeah. that he would leave all that and he would come as a man, but he would die as a crucified one. I want to just uh, read a few Things that has to do with the cross, because as high as God is, we don't understand the low that Yeshua went to and yeah. what it means. And that's what I wanted to actually highlight is this God is God in Yeshua and what is revealed to us. Because if we take the lowliness of Christ as something that only belongs to the, the incarnation, then we don't know God. You see, we've separated mm. different things in God mm. because that's what he's like. And Jesus had to die on the cross, on a cross. And the reason is this way, that the crucifixion was about as low and despised as one could get. It is mm. a sent an unmistakable signal, not fit to live, not even human. Uh, mm. Just let's stay with that. He condemned to death as a beast. That's how the Romans put it in, in Latin. No longer recognized as a human being. Mm -hmm. Crucifixion as a means of execution uh, in the Roman Empire has as its express purpose the elimination of victims from considerations as members of the human race. Wow. Okay. Okay, now just, and I'm quoting some of this from Fleming Rutledge, who wrote a fantastic book called The Crucifixion. Bonhoeffer said about this that uh, God let himself be pushed out of the world onto the cross. In Israelite understanding, anyone who hung on the cross was cursed, cursed by God, and cursed by man. That's how they saw it. Mm -hmm. And as such, he is rejected by his people, cursed among the people of God, and by the God of the law, and excluded from the covenant of life. He who is life. You see, we don't understand that, right? We hardly registers with us. Accursed and excluded from the circle of the living and from the fellowship of God. Hmm. So I wanna I wanna summarize that in this way. I know in my own words, this is what we did with God. God the Son became man. And man said, we reject you from the human race. We will not consider you human. He had been condemned by the religious authorities, the guardians of faith, of morals, as blasphemer, deserving a godless death. What we did is, when God became human, we said, you're blaspheming. Mm -hmm. And we excluded him from the human race. God. Mm. That's what we did. And the thing about this to see is the lowliness of God is to send his son who would come underneath 
the whole burden of sin and be willing to be misunderstood yeah and bear it all yeah for us that's the lowliness of god and this is what he still does because he's underneath his creation hmm. you see but but you see for us low and high are two different things and in god they're not hmm. christianity is the only only religion that has as its God somebody that seemed to have failed and excluded from the human race. And that's Jesus. That's the lowliness of God. This is the God who was the creator who had no need of creation, had no need in himself, had nothing to prove. It would not have made him any more just or not. Yeah. That he would come to this fallen creation and redeem it. And it says for his glory, and that I'll summarize it this way, in, in salvation and in the restoration, God is glorified in this way that the fullness of who he is appears. Both his glory, his, his creation, his power to save and redeem the whole thing. And that's mm. who he is. So, yeah, I, as you're as you're talking, I am realizing that even the what am I realizing? I'm speechless. I, actually, <laughs> that is mostly what I am. It's like you just realize that you're treading on holy ground. Yes, in so many ways, mm -hmm. because even what we think we know is just the the faintest outline of what we're going to see one day when he re <laughs> when he really opens up our eyes when i was uh preparing for this which was a real blessing to me uh because it forced me to stop everything and to re um contemplate these deepest things you know we we float up all the time from the depth of it and we live in a shallow mm. way you know but but your questions you know after when i was preparing for them i thought what do we really know of god mm. we hardly know god we talk about like we're experts mm. we we know nothing you know i mean <laughs> take philippians 2 and and make it a prayer and try to uh, contemplate these verses and other places like it. Ofer, I'd like for you to talk now about the love of Jesus, because we do see it in his death, which you already talked about in Isaiah 3, mm -hmm. or Isaiah 53, where you, you've already explained this. We, as humans, esteemed him to be stricken, to be cursed, to mm -hmm. be um, under the divine curse of God, but it was our sins that he was bearing and our iniquities. And when we saw him on the cross, he was showing in a very, uh, in a very vivid way how we should see ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and this 
And Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't laying down his life for his friends, but for his enemies. Mm -hmm. And I'd like for you to talk about the love of God in Jesus and what you have seen about that love. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I'll refer to scriptures. First of all, you're absolutely right. Jesus didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. We were all enemies. Now, mm-hmm. Romans 5.10 says this, for if, for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So in reflecting on this, I actually wrote something in thanks, on Thanksgiving, and I wrote this, uh, Oh, what grace was it that saved a wretch like me? Mm. What grace was it that found me bound and chained by the enemy and set me free? Mm -hmm. What grace and love are those who called me to his servant be? What thoughts are those so deep that destined me to be conformed to the image of his son? What works are those so powerful, so wise that can bring such things to pass? And I was reflecting on it, and I think that a lot of times we give thanks, and it's proper, it's okay to to uh, give thanks for our blessings. But I was brought to the place, actually, of where the Lord first found me, and I was overwhelmed by that mm. grace. And thanksgiving always stems from that place. And yet, and yet, what... what uh, drew me even more was that the Lord destined me, this is the love of God now, to be conformed to the image of his son. So Mm -hmm. this is one way where you can think about the love of God. God comes to his enemies. I I need to see myself as having crucified the Lord. I need to see myself Mm -hmm. as stoning him if I could. I I need to see him as I would have Mm -hmm. seen him as an enemy to my self-righteousness, to my sinfulness and lusts. I need to see that. And I, I need to see that God sent his only son. And what he had in mind was, is to turn his enemy to be conformed to himself, to transform mm. me. Mm. This is This is... This is beyond us, again, to transform, to take his enemy who pierced him, who said, crucify him, crucify him. I did all that. And to say, I choose Mm. through the death of my son to redeem this one and to justify him, but not only that, but to transform him to Uh, my likeness. This is what love, I want to say it this way, I experience love by what God has done on the cross. I experience Mm -hmm. love Mm -hmm. by what he is planned to do. And I want to read Romans 8.28. This should be part of our whole understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed 
to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. And so I experienced the love of God mm. in this calling. I mean, if you stop and think about it, and most Christians are more busy with the daily world life than to realize this, but that God would love his enemy in this way that he would come and give himself so that by the death and mm -hmm. resurrection of him and what he does, he would transform me. And why is it important? Because he wants me. I say me, but I mean us, you, anyone. He actually mm -hmm. desires with a great desire and a passion to save me, to save you, and to bring you to live with him in eternity, beholding his glory and living in it. Mm. <laughs> mm. We talked about lowliness. He's got to make us lowly then. We talked about humility. Mm. We talked about love, grace. All these things cannot be just something I experience, but they got to be something that he makes me. So, and this is the thing, this mm -hmm. is how I experience also his love in daily life, because his whole, his whole thrust in your life, in my life, is that daily careful shepherding of a soul to be made conformable to his image. Everything for that he will do. And there's no one like God who is willing to be misunderstood by the very ones he loves and leads. I don't think there's anybody that is yeah. more misunderstood than God in the universe because we constantly mm. suspect him of wanting something else. And in his lowliness, mm. in his doggedness to bring me to glory, that is the love of God. And I experience it in a thousand million ways in his provision, in his correction, mm. in his encouragement, in his fellowship with me. Who am I? That I should open the Bible and get on my knees and feel the presence of the living God. Who is this <laughs> that, uh, that can walk into the presence of God this way? And the love of God that we experience in the daily life is so unseen by us that we don't recognize it as such. I, I think that 99% of what he does, he doesn't even tell us, you know, and we don't, we take it, mm -hmm. again, while we're suspecting him and, and thinking that he's keeping us from blessing and blah, blah, and all this, or he doesn't care, How, never mind the world putting a fist in God's face, what about Christians? And yet he loves us, he loves mm -hmm. us, and he brings us, so it's what he's done. And what he is planning to do, the destiny that we have. And it is in the mm -hmm. process of it. In these three ways, I experience the love of God. Mm. You know, as I am reflecting on what you are saying and the thought of Jesus uh, being willing to be stricken for me and smitten mm -hmm. and bear my sorrows and all of that... <sighs> Our love is so impure compared to that. Um, 
I, I, I think about relationships in the past or even current relationships. Mm-hmm. I'll give myself up to a point, but if they begin to hurt me or frustrate me, I think usually there's one of two reactions. One is to just draw back and protect, or the other is to try to um, win, you know, to overpower and to make them yield to my will. Mm-hmm. And that's not like the Lord at all. I mean, he, he never protected himself, and he doesn't um, just exert his will to make us mm-hmm. cower and submit. Um, how do we begin to love people the way Jesus does? I will answer it again in three parts, but first of all, love is a command, and therefore mm. it's not a feeling but an act and a decision. This is so important Mm. because the Mm. world around us gives us a whole different view and our own soulishness many times projects the kind of love that we think we should have and the kind of love that God loves us with and the kind of love that we need to show. So first of all, love is a command. He said this very clearly, Mm. John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. And in 1517, he says, these things I command you, <laughs> that you love one another. And I, mm-hmm. and I sometimes ask people or when I speak about it, I say, um, what kind of a God would command you to love? <laughs> Have you ever seen anything like it? I mean, it's because he is love. But, but uh, I, I think it's mm. amazing that his command is that we love and we should. Now, of course, what would stand in our way of obeying the Lord, of walking after him? Uh, and it's always the same, I think. There's nothing mysterious about it. Somehow we're saving our own life. Uh, what would mm-hmm. keep us from walking after him? What would keep us? Uh, many times it seems to us that loving others is, a, is what we would lose, and, and maybe, we, maybe we would. Um, yeah. But... We don't see what we would gain, actually. But anyway, uh, somehow we're saving our own life. So first, it's a command. Secondly, it's a call that we must answer. It's uh, John twelve twenty five. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Uh, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I, and where I am, there my servant will, will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So it's a command, not a feeling, but an act, a decision. It's a call. We are called to this. This is not a side issue. Mm. You could think I'm in the ministry. Well, what kind of ministry are you in if you, <laughs> if you, haven't, if you, haven't, yeah. if you haven't answered the real call? He who loves me will lose his life, mm. and he who hates his life. Now, I believe the hating here is simply preferring Jesus' own life than ours. Uh, it's repudiating mm-hmm. our own life. It's the turning away from the very spirit that's in the world that's in us many times, where we are always constantly saving ourselves mm. and looking for gain. So hating your life in that sense. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a command. It's a call. But it is also a sight. And this is something we really need to remember, mm. that 
it and the site mm. here is if anyone serves me let him follow me the victory for us is in the follow mm. me it's him whom we follow if we see mm. ourselves we see the other we see our loss then we've lost it it's mm-hmm. him whom we follow mm. we often lose sight of the lord in our walk often daily <laughs> and it's it's strange isn't it i mean what is distracting us i mean you could think about it this way sometimes I've, when i think about the fall of of our first parents i think about it i think what mystery is it that they could turn away from looking at god what would seduce you to do mm. that his beauty itself his life his is everything Anyway, he says, follow me. So it's a command, it's a call, it's a sight. And uh, I think it's very interesting if you look at the context of John 12, 25, 26, you'll see that the context are those Greek Jews that came to the disciples and said, we would see Jesus. (laughs) And that's that's Mm. what Yeshua is telling them then. Mm. This is how you can see me. You see, so it's it's mm. all these things, um, and that's how we can really begin. If we see mm. him, and 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 somehow be so taken up with the sight of himself, which is in the word, it's in prayer, it's in walking with him, uh, and mm. hear the call and not lose sight of it, and understand that love is not when I feel like it, but it's God's will. And wherever there's God's will, there's mm. the grace to do it because that's what it means that he died mm-hmm. for us. I hope that people can hear the value in spending that that daily time and, and more even than just a, a one-hour quiet time, but in all of life, focusing their heart on him. Mm. I wonder how much we'll regret uh, yeah. not doing that more here. Um, I want to wrap up today by talking about Mm -hmm. the sacrifice of Jesus, Mm -hmm. not primarily about the cross, because I, yeah, what you were bringing out was that the cross was not like this special act. It's just one more revelation of who he has always been and always will be. So I'm wondering if you could talk about some other moments in Jesus's life besides the cross that magnify how sacrificial he really is. Um, well, yeah, when you asked that, I contemplated this. And obviously the life of Christ is the most wonderful thing to ever contemplate and see. And let us remember, too, that John wrote that if all of the things Jesus did and said were written— the world could not mm. uh, uh, c- contain the books. Huh. I, I, it's a way of exaggeration to mm. say, I've told you very little, to, ju- just enough. Yeah, uh, yeah. But several things about it, some mm. of them are personal, and there's one. One of them is obviously the most conspicuous thing about Yeshua was his compassion. Uh, I love that story about the bent mm. woman at the back of the congregation, the back of the uh, back of the synagogue, uh, bent over, 
first of all, she was a woman. She was probably older. She was thought probably as a just a piece of humanity with no worth or anything like that. And there is the mm. big man coming to speak in the synagogue, and they're all vying and this and that. And I just love what Jesus sees. It's just what he looks at, what he, how he sees. He mm. sees this woman all the way in the back. It's Saturday, so they're looking for anything that would make him be disqualified. And he sees that woman and he calls her. I just, I try to think about it, how the place is full of people vying to get close. This woman is maybe even unseeable almost. She, women were in the back somehow and he looks at her and he sees mm. her. That's how God sees. I, I just, makes me just love God this way that Jesus is not self-important. You know, he. He saw and he, and he called her to himself. He associated himself with someone who was thought absolutely worthless, maybe even stricken by God, who knows, and healed her. And uh, he wouldn't wait till, till the next day because she's been with this 18 years and they found fault with this. But uh, I, I love that about it. Another, another, another instance is, the blind beggar, uh, when he was on his way to Jerusalem, the thing that strikes me about that is the fact that Yeshua was on his way to die. He was about to be crucified, and he knew it. And uh, I don't know what you do when you're on your way to do something important. And, <laughs> and uh, I mean, imagine uh -huh. all of the ages converged on this going up to Jerusalem and dying, everything. Turned, I mean, everything. It was the greatest thing that had ever been done and would be done. Hmm. And here, in all of that, he has an absolutely no preoccupation with himself. And he stops, again, hmm. beggars, not very high on the social scale, blind, screaming and yelling, hmm. not very fit for good ministry to pay attention. And, and he stopped dead in his tracks. And the people were screaming, shut up, you know, and here he just, bring him to me. He stopped everything, the whole parade. And he said, bring him to me. And then he asked him something that is, to me personally dear, which is, what would you have me do for you? What do you want? And uh, that's what the Lord asked me when I, he found me in India and appeared to me uh, in 1976. He asked me the same question. What would you have me do for you? And then the last one, I'm struck by, I don't know how else to say it, by, by the lambness of the Lamb of God. He opened not his mouth to justify himself. You know, I don't know about you, but whenever somebody doesn't understand me, or thinks I've done something that uh, mm -hmm. there's something in me that, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. Now here, the only human being that has ever lived without sin, without guilt, it was the Lamb of God. And yet, when he was accused 
he did not open his mouth to justify himself. Mm. Could he have done it? Easily. Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. so struck by that as such a, a mm. moment. And then the last one, this is really the last one now. I, uh, for many years, I've been in awe of the struggle of the greatest, probably, prayer and moment of struggle, again, of any human at Gethsemane. Now remember, Jesus is God the Son, but he's also fully human, completely. So mm -hmm. much so that if you and I saw him today, we wouldn't look. Probably look like some mm -hmm. of us in the Middle East here. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I want to read a verse from Hebrews 5, 7. It says about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Now, I have always had a little bit of a difficulty when people say that Yeshua was trying to get out of the cross, that he said, if you, know, if you can take this cup with me. It never rang true with me. It's not... According to scriptures, um, he set his face as flint towards Jerusalem. He taught his disciples he's going to die. I I'd had a hard time with that. And verse 7 in chapter 5 of Hebrews actually points to, to this, that Yeshua was not crying to get out of the cross, but begging God for strength to go to the cross. And I've, I found a very, very interesting, wow. many, many years ago, a footnote in uh, the Living Bible of all things about this verse, and I want to read it. To him who was able to save him from death. The footnote says this, save him from premature death. And the comment is this, Christ's longing mm -hmm. was to live until he could die on the cross for all mankind. There is a strong case to be made that Satan's great desire was that Christ should die prematurely before the mighty work at the cross could be performed. Christ's body, being human, was mm. frail and weak like ours, except that he was sinless. He had said just a few moments before, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. And can a human body... Mm. Live long under such pressure of spirit as he underwent in the garden that caused sweating of great drops of blood. But God graciously heard and answered his anguished cry in Gethsemane, let this cup pass from me, and preserved him from seeming imminent and mm. premature death. For an angel was sent to strengthen him so that he could live to accomplish God's perfect will at the cross. And that's only Luke uh, records that an angel was sent to strengthen him. So Jesus wanted to be saved from death so he could die. And I have many times gone back to contemplating those moments, three hours mm -hmm. in which I think of it as the greatest prayer of all time in, in this way, that within three hours... He took upon himself 
on his body and on his soul, the guilt of all mankind, the insanity of all insane people, all sickness, everything, all the guilt of it, all the blame of it, as if he said to God in it, at the cross actually, I am to blame for all the sin in the world. I, I don't know what to do with that. I, I come to it, and to be honest, we <laughs> yeah. all need to come to it. I'm speechless, and I just can worship. And I think of it, of the agony of it, and of the enormity. I mean, you try to take on yourself the blame for somebody else for one little thing and see what happens. Mm. And he took it all and then paid for it all. So all I can do is bow. We need to have sight, a good sight of the, of the crucified one. And I think that many, many of our... I, you asked in another question something, but I thought, why, you know, we forever try to negotiate with God terms. How much we will give up and how much we will consecrate mm -hmm. and how much we will get away with for what? For what? To save our life? To save our way? To save our moments? Don't we know that, that we're going to be with Him in glory? You see, all the things that we talked about here are, I believe, vital for us to know as a knowledge of our daily life. This is not just theory. We become what we worship. And so we have to be careful to worship Him as He is, as He is. May, may I, may you, all the dear ones in BLM who come there, may have get such a sight of God this way that they'll never get over it. And that would be a great victory for God. I'm not going to say much here at the end. I've listened to that interview twice, and it is like water for a thirsty soul. How endless, how incomprehensible is our God. May you find great joy, strength, and peace as you continue to fix your eyes on Jesus. We'll see you next time, and Merry Christmas. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.